Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 380. Today's show is brought to you by Mint Mobile. As part of our author interview series, our guest today on the Not Old Better Show is author Garrett Graff. Garrett Graff has written a new book about the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks on America titled The Only Plane in the Sky and Oral History. I've had a chance to experience the book and have listened to several of the accounts, what author Garrett Graff refers to as the oral history, and this is an excellent book for all audiences, but our Not Old Better Show audience will remember well the history of 9-11 and genuinely relate to these stories of survival and triumph. Garrett Graff himself has an excellent, impressive history and is today a magazine journalist and historian. Garrett Graff has spent more than a dozen years covering politics, technology, and national security. He's written for publications from Wired to the New York Times and served as editor of two of Washington's most prestigious magazines, Washingtonian and Politico Magazine. Garrett Graff joins us today to tell us more about his book and describe the panoramic oral history of the September 11th attacks. As I say, the oral history draws on hundreds of interviews with government officials, first responders, survivors, friends, and family members to recount events from the perspective of first-hand witnesses. It's dramatic, impressive, and very important. Let's listen now as President Bush's chief of staff Andy Card recalls his memories from that day. I knew I was delivering a message that no president would want to hear. I decided to pass on two facts and an editorial comment. I didn't want to invite a conversation because the president was sitting in front of second-grade students in that classroom. The teacher asked the students to take out their books, so I took that opportunity to approach the president. I whispered in his ear, A second plane hit the second tower. America is under attack. I took a couple of steps back so he couldn't ask me any questions. That, of course, is President Bush's chief of staff, Andy Card, who served the president from 1989 to 1992 and is part of the oral history from Garrett Graff's new book, The Only Plane in the Sky. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Garrett Graff. Garrett Graff, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. It is really great to talk to you. I think this book is powerful. I think it is important and timely, and I, and I do want to get into it. But tell us a little bit about what's different about the book, its stories, and, and your perspective in writing it. Yeah. Uh, so the book uh, grew out of a piece that I wrote for Politico magazine in for the 15th anniversary of 9-11 uh, that was about uh, the President's Day on 9-11. And I went out and had interviewed about 28 of the people uh, around President Bush uh, on Air Force One that day. And the response to the book was really over, uh, the response to the article was really overwhelming. Um, And there were two reader reactions that really stood out to me. One was a letter from a uh, a mother, a veteran, who said that she had two children, seven and nine, and had printed out my article to set aside for them to read someday to help her explain why mommy had left them to go off to war. 
And the second was from another veteran, a younger guy, um, army veteran who had done three tours, two in Afghanistan, one in Iraq. And he was writing about how he had never really understood the national trauma of that day until he saw it through President Bush's eyes. And those two reactions really stood out to me in the context of realizing this new generation that is coming of age who will have no emotional connection to 9-11 and who we are sort of handing a world still very much shaped and influenced by 9-11 over to even though they don't actually necessarily understand the day that shaped our modern world. And so that inspired me to build this full book, which traces not just Air Force One, but the entire national experience of that day. Um, it, it, you know, the, the Twin Towers, Shanksville, uh, the, the Pentagon, as well as uh, being in the air traffic control towers that day, being in the cockpits of passenger jets and fighter planes, uh, being with Vice President Cheney in the White House bunker under the North Lawn, um, being aboard Air Force One with President Bush, um, being on Capitol Hill, as well as you know what it was like to to be sort of someone watching this all unfold on television. And my goal with the book was to just tell. 9-11 through the voices of the people who lived it, um, you know, what they were thinking, what they were experiencing, how the day unfolded for them. So the result is this book, which uh, ultimately uh, quotes 480 Americans coast to coast, morning to night. And you've generously shared several of these interviews with us, and we're going to listen to another one here. This one is from Air Force Colonel Mark Tillman, pilot of Air Force One, about his recollections. And after we listen, please tell us more about that day, 9-11, and its national impact. Colonel Mark Tillman. I went down to the tarmac to see about having the plane refueled. The plane could carry 14 hours of fuel. I wanted a full tank. It turned out we'd happened to park over a hot refueling tank they used for the bombers. This civilian is arguing with our crew. He says the fuel pits are only authorized for use in time of war. An Air Force Master Sergeant, God bless him, overhears this and roars, we are at war. He whips out his knife and starts cutting open the cover. The initial conversation was that we'd take him to an Air Force base no less than an hour away from Washington. Maybe we'd try to get him to Camp David. That all changed when we heard there was a plane headed towards Camp David. I made the takeoff, climbed out, probably 25 to 30,000 feet, and I gave it up to the backup pilot. I had three pilots on board that day. I said to keep flying towards Washington, D.C. One of the things that uh, is so interesting about that day, when you look at it at this really national level across the country, is how similar our experiences were across the country. Um, and how you see um, the, uh, you know, whether you were a school child uh, that day or the president of the United States, that your day was somewhat similar. Um, and the way that you experienced the fear and the confusion of that day was, was remarkable um, and, and a really important part of understanding how the nation's reaction to that day was. Um, 
that said, one of the things that just really stood out to me as I was working on this project um, was, and some of sort of the most haunting quotes of that day for me, it is the exploration of what that day was like as a sensory experience. You know, we we all collectively remember the sights of 9-11. Um, you know, we watched that day unfold on television together as a country. And yet what most of us either don't know or have forgotten as time has passed is you know, 9-11 for the people who were present was a 360-degree sensory experience. Mm -hmm. And so I talk about the sounds of 9-11, the, the smells of 9-11, what 9-11 felt like to the touch, uh, what it tasted like. Um, you know, when I was going through the oral histories of the volunteer firefighters responding to the crash in Shanksville, you know, they all talked about what the field smelled like, what the crash site of Flight 93 smelled like. Um, you know, the people who were in the Twin Towers for or around the Twin Towers for the collapse, you know, they talk about what that sounded like and then what the what it tasted like, what the dust from that collapse tasted like in your mouth. I mean, one of the firefighters describes it as like having a wool sock in your mouth, or another says it's like having a mouthful of Bisquick. And then they talk about what it was like walking through the dust there um, with the, um, you know, the pillowy, uh, you know, sort of cotton of a fresh fallen snow covering lower Manhattan. And then, of course, the sound uh, that all of us across the country remember of that day actually is the quiet. And it's sort of the profound quiet that settles over the country as schools let out, as businesses let out, and most of all, as the planes are grounded across the country. And so one of the things that sort of people remark on across the country that day, I mean, I quote a guy in Fargo, North Dakota, talking about it in the book, is just how quiet the afternoon of 9-11 was when you went outside and there were no planes in the sky. Many in my generation will remember the phrase, uh, the greatest generation, uh, those from kind of the World War II community. Many of those uh, are passing, and uh, I learned recently that, that one from World War II is uh, uh, soon to, to pass away if, ha if he hasn't already. And I wonder if that influenced you in, in kind of letting these witnesses, these, these interviewees tell their story and remembering it and having it live on was a real uh, an influence on you in, in, in creating all this. Absolutely. Um, and, and in sort of one very specific way, which is that to me, it, it, when we sort of look back on the history of 9-11, when we talk about 9-11 uh, as history, we tell ourselves a much cleaner 
and neater story about that day than any of us who lived through it actually experienced. You know, we talk about the first crash at 8.46 in the morning, and then we know that by 10.29, with the collapse of the second tower, the day is over, um, and that sort of the whole thing unfolds in just those 102 minutes. But what anyone who lived through that day remembers is that that's not how we experienced 9-11 at all. That's not how we lived 9-11. You know, we didn't understand what had happened when the attacks started, and none of us thought that the day was over at 10-29. I mean, well into the afternoon, there was the fear that there were additional hijacked flights in the air. At one point, they feared that there were a dozen more hijacked planes in the air. And, you know, as awful as the final toll of 9-11 ended up, nearly 3,000 people killed, uh, the, the estimates and the fears that day were far worse. I mean, you know, a lot of people feared and, you know, newscasters were talking about the possibility of 25 or even 50,000 people dead that day um, based on, you know, the working populations of the Twin Towers on a given work day. And, you know, the fear that maybe as many as a thousand people might be dead at the Pentagon alone. And that, you know, the, the, that fear, that chaos, the trauma, the confusion of that day uh, really comes through when you get into listening to people's individual stories and, and collectively their stories together. I mean, you know, we we didn't many people didn't uh, think that the attacks would be confined to just New York and Washington. Um, you know, there uh, there were the Prudential Center in New York was. Uh, uh, sorry, the Prudential Center in Boston was evacuated. The Sears Tower in Chicago was evacuated. Disney closed that day. Um, you know, there was just real fear across so much of the country uh, that, you know, your town was next. And that, that uh, you know, that sort of visceral reaction to that day is one of the things that we really lose track of when we go back now and sort of tell the you know the the neater uh, sort of more factual version of American history. Hi, it's Paul, and we'll be right back with our excellent author interview segment featuring Garrett Graff about his fascinating, important story of survival and triumph, the only plane in the sky from Simon and Schuster. You know, here on the Not Old Better Show, we talk a lot about history. And today's sponsor, Mint Mobile, will be treated well by history with their excellent products, rates, plans, and service, all to cut your wireless phone bill. Today's sponsor, Mint Mobile, is all about making it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. That's right. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers in 2019? Have you asked yourself, what am I paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, you're being taken advantage of because they know you'll pay. Enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything you need to do for your cellular coverage is handled by you online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you. Plus, and we talk about this a lot here on the Not Old Better Show, the setup. Using the Mint Mobile video, there's just 
one that you have to watch and your account is remarkably easy. I've been using the phone for a few days now and will be traveling with it next week, but the coverage has been thorough and complete. Mint Mobile does what it says they'll do. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. The simple website provides an easy choice between three plans with three, eight, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. And every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. Use your own phone number with any Mint Mobile plan and you can keep that number along with all of your existing contacts. Hear me on this, with Mint Mobile, Stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use and ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash not old better. That's mintmobile.com slash not old better. All this will be in our show notes. Thanks everybody. And now back to our author interview series with Garrett Graff about his new book, the only plane in the sky. We are with best-selling author Garrett Graff. Garrett Graff has written the new book, The Only Plane in the Sky. Garrett Graff, tell us a little bit about the title, The Only Plane in the Sky. Where does that come from? That, that's such a powerful set of words. Yeah, the, the title comes from the end of the day uh, as the president's plane, Air Force One, is headed back to Washington uh, once the government determines that the uh, that the skies are safe and that it's safe to return to Washington for the president. And Air Force One is flying back from Offutt Air Force Base with uh, a fighter escort, um, and it is at that point, uh, except for it's the fighters accompanying it. It is the only plane in the sky over the continental uh, United States and North America. And it's sort of this uh, amazing moment as they realize, you know, just how different that day uh, is and and sort of the monumental historical nature of that day and that flight. Um, In, you know, the, the, in the, President's Day, in many ways, is an encapsulation of that, of the fear and the confusion that reigns through so much of the day. Um, in part because, and this is one of the things that we we forget again now, sort of looking back, that the, you know, as much as we sort of think of 9-11 as modern times, you know, it, it really is in many ways the beginning of our modern world. Um, communications-wise, it's sort of the primitive Stone Age technologically. And so the um, pr- uh, the president on Air Force One that uh, in 2001, he had no email, he had no cable or satellite TV in flight. And so the president was relying on, in effect, uh, rabbit ears antennas to pick up local TV news coverage as he's flying around the country. And 
uh, you know, they as they get closer to an urban area, they, the TV coverage fades in, and as they fly away, it fades out. And so, you know, it's incredible to realize this, but for most of 9-11, the president of the United States in 2001 knew less about what was going on in the world than the average American sitting at home watching CNN. Garrett Graff, author of the book, The Only Plane in the Sky, an Oral History. I know you're very busy. We appreciate your time so much, Garrett Graff. This is such a powerful historical story, and many in our audience, as I say, will remember it well. What do you remember most from that day? So this is, uh, you know, I I have a a very boring 9-11 story. I was in college. Um, I was at breakfast um, when a friend came by and said that two planes hit the Twin Towers. And yet, as boring as uh, my day and my experience is, it is nonetheless vivid and, in fact, is, um, you know, very intense, as quotidian as it is. You know, I could walk into that dining hall 18 years later and walk directly to the seat where I was sitting when that began to unfold. And I remember, uh, you know, later that day, how uh, exactly where I was when I saw the first photo of an Osama bin Laden on a television and how confused I was about how everyone on TV seemed so sure that this was the person and this thing called Al-Qaeda was the, the thing that had attacked us. Um, because, you know, I had not heard of either of bin Laden or Al-Qaeda and just had no understanding of that and uh, just couldn't understand how someone that I had never heard of was actually, uh, you know, responsible for an attack like this. And, and, and of course, that was sort of part of the mystery for so many Americans that day was, you know, these attacks uh, seemed to come, you know, literally out of the blue that day. Garrett Graff, thank you so much for your generous time and uh, your hard work in memorializing these these stories in, in this part of history. We really appreciate the book again, The Only Plane in the Sky, an oral history. Thank you very much, Garrett Graff, for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for sharing these stories. My thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring today's show. Remember, that's mintmobile.com slash better to cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. And my thanks to Simon and Schuster for their help in arranging today's excellent interview with author Garrett Graff. And of course, thanks to Garrett Graff, author of the new book, The Only Plane in the Sky. We'll have links to everything in the show notes. Last, but certainly not least, my thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, everybody, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show.